What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? It gives me great pleasure to welcome you back once again to Fighting Fire with Fire, the AJ Rose Show, a time of recording. It is 3.34 p.m. on Thursday, May 2nd, 2019. And with me in my house in Rosendale, Massachusetts, is one of my oldest friends in the entire world, Frank Campania. Frank, say hi to the people. Hi to the people. Yeah. How do you feel? This is your podcast debut. Have you been on a podcast before in any capacity? I have been on a podcast before a couple of times, but never one quite this distinguished. (laughs) (laughs) So I asked you, I said, Frank, how soon can you see Avengers Endgame? Because I want to get you on the podcast to talk about it. Because unlike a lot of people who have seen all these now 22, 23 Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, you actually read Marvel Comics as a kid. Do you want to give the people a brief synopsis of your history reading Marvel comic books growing up? Yes, yes. So I started reading Marvel comic books when I was probably about 10 years old, which was uh, 1972. Um, And, you know, at first I was just reading whatever I could get my hands on from some older kids. And when I would save up loose change, it could go to the drugstore and buy my own copies. I would buy my own copies. And uh, probably when I was 12 was when I started buying my first Avengers comic books at the store. Incredible. However, by the time I was, um, oh, I'd say 16, maybe 17, I had uh, acquired the entire collection of Avengers comics. Oh, my God. Through every penny that I could earn doing summer jobs, odd jobs, I would go to this comic book store in Buffalo, New York, where I grew up, called Grant Books and uh, save up and buy the old comics. So uh, by the time I stopped collecting in like 1980-81, I had every single Avengers comic from 1 to 215. And do you still have any of those now? I'm sorry to say that I don't because once I got to college and had to pay my own way for different expenses for living, for taking trips, for partying and whatnot, (laughs) I slowly, piece by piece... Sold my comic book collection. And interestingly, I'd say I sold almost all the comics to a guy who lived in my dormitory at Cornell University whose summer job was uh, he would dress up as Yogi Bear. And one yeah. of those giant, you know, life-size Yogi Bear costumes. Hey, yo, boo, boo. That's right. right. In like a, an amusement park. And um, I sold him my entire collection bit by bit. <laughs> and so when you first saw Iron Man in May 2008, when George Bush was still president, <laughs> that was a long time ago, huh? That was. Excuse so me. did you? <gasps> yeah, right. Go ahead. So you saw a bunch. There were there were superhero movies before that. There were Batman movies. There were Christopher Reeve super Superman movies. There were. Uh, uh, even a couple of Spider-Mans in that same Raimi directed in 02 and 03. But Iron Man comes out, Robert Downey Jr. is is Iron Man, and it sets up the beginning of this MCU. In your wildest dreams, did you think it would come to fruition where there's 22 of these things and it becomes the closest thing you could ever have to having the comic books transitioned onto the theater? Certainly not to the level that it did. I mean, you mentioned the Sam Raimi Spider-Man series. That was one example where I can still remember seeing those and you would see Spider-Man, you know, sailing through the air, hanging onto his web. And I'd say to myself, oh, my God, that's really what it would be like if you could see it Mm -hmm. in the real world. Mm -hmm. So he had a hint of that. 
But the idea of the entire universe coming to life, no, it, that was not. Um, it, it, it ended up beyond my wildest expectations. <laughs> yeah. And you just saw Endgame last night, you and your wife Steph. And Steph is also a big Marvel fan. Did you guys see it in a packed theater? Even though it was a Wednesday, uh, almost a week after it came out, was it still packed? We did. We saw it in a packed theater, and it was the only theater in within about you know 15 miles that we could get three tickets to. Because we were with another friend, everything else was sold out, <laughs> and we had to actually pay a little bit more than we usually do for the you know premier super luxe mm. seats to you know be able okay. to get in. And you did you think that it's three? It's a three-hour movie, and that's the longest movie I've ever seen. I don't know about you. And did that feel, did it feel like a three-hour movie when you were in the movie theater? For me, it didn't. AJ, it didn't because for me, I could I could have stayed in there for six hours. It was just being like, I'm a big ice cream eater as my friends and family know. Yes, it was are. just being able to like eat endless amounts of like your most favorite food and never get full. It was uh, just, it was uh, totally enjoyable. Did you have a favorite Avenger growing up? A specific favorite Avenger? Well, you know, the Avengers as a group were my, they were my favorite group. And they were, it was funny because there were really different periods um, of my life where I can remember feeling more drawn to certain Avengers. I did always have a particular soft spot for Captain America. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was because I had also seen uh, some of the really old Golden Age comics, you know, before the Avengers yes. in the 40s when he was fighting the Nazis and Red Skull and stuff, and, and so I always had a, a liking to him for that, for that role. Um, but uh, I think that uh, after him, I, I always was fascinated with Thor just because he was so powerful. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, I'd say more than the characters, I was drawn to the big battles. Like there was this one uh, issue where Thor fights Silver Surfer. Right, and I think they're going to bring in Silver Surfer and the Fantastic Four into the MCU and, and the X-Men in the next 10 years. I do think that is all going to get folded in, and they probably do uh, Galactus as the next big, big, big bad. I'm not sure how they're going to do that. Not really sure. Just a big, big space opera for the next decade? I don't know. But I think that the way they did Thanos is very good, but... I've never read the comics, so I wanted to get because according to my buddy Sam Barbell, who, who I went and saw the movie with, and who is one of the biggest Marvel and superhero people I know, he said that it is not the same as Endgame and Infinity War in the movies is not the same as it is in the comics. In the comics, how is Thanos defeated? Well, he he's defeated. He's not totally defeated in the mm. same way. So a lot of these characters, and, and this is complicated for people that didn't read the comics to understand, but there are multiple timelines that yes. have taken place. So you'll have some of the same characters appear, you know, they'll be alive in one timeline and then die. And then they'll reappear in another timeline and they'll live longer and they'll, you know, mix and match with different characters. So it's, it's hard to make an exact parallel between what happened in the comic books and what happens in the movies. However, there are some very important hints. Do you mind if there are any sort of I, I think we I, I would I would like us to spoil the bejesus out of this movie. And this okay. is the last opportunity anybody has listening to this podcast has to if you haven't seen Endgame yet to end this to stop listening to this podcast right now and then come back later because we're going to spoil the crap out of this movie. That's right, right. That's right. There you go. Friend. So so just to say that um, you know in the comic books the Infinity Stones which they would call Infinity Gems in the yeah. comic books or in, even Infinity Jewels in some places. Um, the, the one called the Soul Stone, mm -hmm. okay, in the comic book, 
uh, people get trapped inside the soul stone. Okay. Okay. So there's that these great dramatic moments where um, Thanos sacrifices his daughter Gamora, and then um, big spoiler here. Big spoiler. Turn it off. You don't want to hear it. <laughs> but uh, Black Widow is sacrificed. That's right. Um, in order Hawkeye. for Hawkeye to possess the soul stone. What a great scene. It, yes, a very dramatic scene, and the soul for a soul switch. But in the comic book, uh, different characters get trapped inside the soul stone at different times, including. Thanos himself um, in one of the plot lines. But there's a character in the comic book um, who's not much talked about and uh, not much, not well known. Uh, his name is... Um, uh, uh, are you trying to remember the character's name? Yeah, I'm just trying to remember. It's, I can um, try and install for you. Uh, Adam... Um, Adam Adam Savage? No, 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 no. Hold on. I, I wrote it down here because I, I had <laughs> forgotten it for a second. Riveting it's, uh, Adam Warlock. That was Adam, Adam Warlock. Warlock. This character, Adam Warlock, was a very powerful character. And um, he, in the Marvel comic books, acquires the Soul Stone. But there's a period where he gets trapped inside of it, and there's a whole series of issues where he escapes from the Soul, the Soul Stone? Stone, and people wow. get freed from the Soul Stone. So, for those of you who saw Guardians of the Galaxy 2, yes, okay, in one of the Easter egg scenes at the end, there's yes. the race of people called the Sovereign Citizens, and the um, the High Priestess is sitting there and mulling over her loss to the Guardians of the Galaxies, right. Galaxy, and uh, she says, I have a new creation. I'm going to call in a birthing pod. They show this golden birthing pod. She says, I'm going to call him Adam. And, do you think and that's then it Adam ends. Warlock. And my and uh, that is in all likelihood that's going to be Adam Warlock. Holy cow! Because he is birthed in Frank. some artificial birthing pod, and I suspect that he's going to come back, and there's going to be a, an entire storyline of him helping to release Gamora to free Gamora and Black Widow and others from and the Soul Stone. That'll be Guardians Three. It could be Guardians Three, and, and that is set up at the end of uh, Endgame, where we have Thor join, which I thought was a fantastic move. I don't know if you approve of that yes. or not, because Thor's held his own and had three movies about himself, but he, the chemistry, the on-screen chemistry with the Guardians was palpable in both Infinity War and now Endgame, and to have them, to have the Chris Wars, Chris Pratt and Chris Hemsworth try and duke it out for That's control of the ship is fantastic. That's going to be great. Did you? The other thing that it does not happen at any point in Infinity War and Endgame, and a question I had for you, was the idea of death. Because Thanos, uh, the only reference that we can... Because in the comic books, Thanos is in love with Death, who is as a woman. Yes? Yes. And the only tiny reference we have to... At the end of the Avengers 1 movie, when Thanos' servant comes to them and says, the human beings are unruly and therefore cannot be ruled, to court them is to court Death. Which is the only little line that we get at any point that uh, a reference to Thanos and his relationship with death. Do you wish that there had been some sort of portrayal of death, a female death that Thanos was in love with and have that be the motivation? Rather than him just wanting to eliminate half of the universe's population. I, I think that would have been an interesting plot line. I can see why that I, might have been too much for I them to take I can certainly see on. why it would be too much. Uh, however, there is this other character in the Marvel Universe um, who is known as the Gardener. Mm. Uh, and um, <laughs> if you, the planet that Thanos is on after he destroys half the, the world, garden, which is the garden, was uh, likely a reference to one of these planets that he created. He would the Gardas character would go around and he would plant seeds in all these different planets and they make them really beautiful and everything. And so it's possible that they are more, I think, going with this idea of Thanos trying to play the role of this sort of pruning gardener who's like in order to keep everything growing. 
you have to prune away half of everything. And that's, that's, right. that's his role. That was probably just easier for them to convey than another relationship for mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you this, AJ. I think that the more important relationships and I think the more compelling ones that I'm not hearing people talk about in this is uh, there is a lot in the relationships between fathers and sons in particular. Mm-hmm. And then in this last um, endgame, fathers and daughters. Mm-hmm. So, so you're early? saying Thanos, Nebula, and Gamora yes. in terms of fathers and daughters. That's the big storyline last one. Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man and his new daughter. That's right. And, and I'm trying Ant-Man. To, Ant-Man and his daughter Riley. That's right, who he sees grown up, which is kind of our first big hit you in the gut moment of the movie, frankly. Yeah. Actually, wait, the cold open with Hawkeye and his his, his uh, Hawkeye uh, and his daughter. His right. daughter. They show a lot with his kids and his daughter in particular. And they also... Um, there's also the relationship between um, Hank Pym and mm. his daughter, who is the Evangeline Lilly, that's right. right. So there's all these... Hope. Uh, uh, hope, that's right. So in the earlier um, movies, there's a lot of the complexity they get into between the fathers and the sons, like Tony Stark and his dad, which is resolved at the end. Thor and Love his dad. Love that scene. Yeah, Black Panther and his dad, and these... these men finding out that their fathers may not have been the great men that they were reputed to be. There's mm-hmm. a lot of complexity and a lot they have to kind of sort out and, and reconcile. Um, and now in this last one, it's more about um, the fathers and their daughters. And then even in the case of Thor, him and his mother. You know, yeah. Thing God, mother. that's a great scene. It's Rene Russo is so good in this one scene as Thor's mom. And I didn't even particularly like Thor the Dark World or either of the first two Thor movies at all. Yeah, me neither. And, they were kind of weak. And I, I, I continue to think that Taika Waititi, the director of Thor Ragnarok, might have saved the whole MCU by direct the way he directed that movie. Obviously, the Russo brothers who directed Endgame, Infinity War, and going backwards, Civil War and Winter Soldier, they have clearly shifted the, the MCU as well. And they've gotten be- the, the whole MCU's gotten better as we've gone along. But Ragnarok taught us how to have fun in the MCU again and taught Thor how to have fun. And used Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin better than you could ever use it in a movie. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I, I would say that that remains the most entertaining Marvel movie. So let's. I want to get break down a little bit into Endgame itself. Were you okay with the idea of using time travel uh, in Endgame? Did that? Did that? Did any of that bother you at any point? Did it make you roll your eyes? Well. <laughs> you know, it, it is a little bit of a, you know, in a sort of escape hatch. There were, you know, I'm, I'm so just delighted to see everything happening that I could get past it. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I was hoping that they would have added like a few more twists to it, potentially, mm. to the time travel. And um, uh, I didn't see those necessarily happen. You know, they sort of... They went back and they retrieved things and they brought them back and that was it. It would have been nice to have seen a couple more twists. Although, you know, what can I say? The scene with Tony Stark talking to his dad just before he's born... That was pretty cool. Slattery, uh, John Slattery as Howard Stark, really has not had much room to flex at all in as his role in Howard's, as Howard Stark, and then this scene is a great payoff for it. Yeah, yeah. And they do a good job, too. You know, they don't take themselves too seriously. Right. So that they make fun of the, the whole time travel from all the other movies yes. they reference. Back, Back to the, the Future and everything. Et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that it's, it, in some ways it seemed to me almost a little too easy to get the things that they needed. I, would, right. I was hoping that there would be, like, I, I I thought it was great how com- how complex it was when they had to get the first Infinity Stone after Avengers One, mm-hmm. you know, and they had that little uh, curveball where the Hulk comes crashing out of the elevator. A couple more like uh, things like that I would have liked, but it wasn't enough to say it was 
you know. And we see Loki go and get the Tesseract and therefore uh, the cube, the, the which soul at the Space Stone? Is that the uh, soul? That was the Tesseract, yeah. The tes- is that, yeah. Okay. And that's then the they, one that lets you travel through and space. And the yeah. portals. And then they have to go back further and that's how they get them to meet with Howard Stark in the first place. That's they right. decide they have to go back further and to get more Pym particles. That's right, And yep. did you... Were you okay with this being mostly about Downey and Evans, mostly being about Cap and Iron Man. That that, that ultimately, because Infinity War is a Thanos movie, and Endgame, despite all the screen time and the three hours and everybody in it, it's really about Cap and Iron Man. Well, I I, I don't know that I agree with that. I think it, I think it is very much about them, but I think there is a ton in there about Thanos and Gamora and um, Nebula. Mm-hmm. There's a lot in there, and there's it's a true. lot about that, that a lot of closure with. Um, Hawkeye and um, Black Widow, which for a lot of people that don't know, it may not have been conveyed as well in the comic book. You know, they're a, they're a, they're an item in the comic book. Mm. They're, they're lovers in the comic book, and um, there's you know they're close friends more in the cinematic universe because Hawkeye has a family. But the the way that their relationship plays out, they go in thinking that they're going to have a great adventure like in the old days in Budapest, right? And then you know she ends up. You know, sacrificing her life, but so, but at the same time, I, I had no problem with the extent to which it was about Iron Man and Captain America because they were such a big part of the earlier stories. They were, they were the the two of the three guys, yeah. and they their movies were better and more important earlier than Thor's. Thor just sort of found out, as we said, just sort of just found out how to be Thor. Yeah, they were original Avengers mm-hmm. um, in the comic books as well. Um, I think that. Um, uh, Tony Stark, you you probably get into his personality more than anyone else's through all the movies, um, and the fact that you know he comes starts out as this tough guy partier, but you know just like in the comic book, he's an alcoholic. He's got all kinds of issues. Um, you know, personally, he's got unresolved things with his family. He seems tough, but he has panic attacks. Yep. In Iron Man three, he's like having anxiety attacks. Did you PTSD. enjoy uh, them bringing that kid back for the funeral? Yes, yeah. I thought that was really nice. I little thought touch. that was a nice Same little actor. touch. And, and let me just say one more thing about Captain America because you said about the amount that it centered on him is that his character. You know, um, he was on the one hand this pure, this symbol of purity. And patriotism, because he was frozen in time, having never had a relationship mm-hmm. with a woman or anyone. You never having of having real love life, real life. He sacrificed everything for his country. But in the Captain America movies, he like is a you know the foremost critic of you know the government and mm-hmm. of like unquestioned patriotism and of um, you know putting loyalty to country among loyalty to your friends. In some respects, he's more loyal to Bucky than he is to his country. Yeah. So he offers this very credible critique. Um, and then at the end, you know, Cap, you know, clearly he he uh, gets over those red, white, and blue balls that he's had to mm, suffer for seven very years nice, in the Frank, ice. Very nice, And has that happy grin on his face at the end, and he's like, and I'm satisfied and ready to turn over my shield. Did you think that it was a good idea to wait because the movie's three hours and we have to wait over two of those hours to bring everybody back who we lost from Infinity War. Do you think that it would have been better or in some way if they were brought back earlier? Or do you think it makes it all nice and neat for that last battle sequence? Well, you know, I'm not going to critique the storyline as much. I think it, there is there was a great drama to have them 
uh, come back in the battle sequence. Although I think I might agree with you that at the same time, I wanted a little bit more from some of the characters who appeared there. Mm -hmm. You know, they got to do a few seconds of fighting and they all had key roles. You know, like uh, Black Panther had a key role in helping to retrieve the... um, the gauntlet, gauntlet. Uh, but I would have liked to have had a little bit more, and maybe if they came in early, that could have happened. Do you have a couple favorite moments or scenes from the whole movie out of the three hours? I know it's hard to just pick off the top of your head. Obviously, we talked about the scene between Tony and Howard Stark. You've got Cap picking up Thor's hammer, which is, I'm sure, a huge cheer in the theater. And you've got... Uh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that. The, the, the one of, of um, when Captain America picks up Thor's hammer, which, again, for people that haven't read the comic book, he had done that. He does that, A couple right? of times in yeah. the comic book. There, there are, I think, uh, I don't know, five or six, half a dozen characters who have picked up Thor's hammer at various times, good and bad. Um, and we all remember that the Vision was able to pick it up one time in um, Ultron. That's right. In Ultron, although he's not a he's not a you know he's an android, so you know he may have had a, sort of an edge. <laughs> but the fact that Captain America could finally wield it, um, that was I thought a fantastic uh, twist. I I, I like that. I appreciated it that he did it at that moment. Yes. Um, and did you? What did you think of Fat Thor? Fat Thor was the other great moment when he gets gets in there and the guy's like a total you know slob. And um, Rocket Raccoon comes up there. He's like, you look like melted ice cream. That, was, that may have been my favorite line of the movie. As an ice cream enthusiast yourself. As an ice cream enthusiast, yeah. And, and um, Thor, was that, that was a great scene. I also like the scene when um, Rocket Raccoon is, you know, tells him when he's, and when Thor starts to have a panic attack, he's like, come here, come here. And he like slaps, slaps him in the face. He's what like, a great pair. I, I continue to be... Just blown away. Obviously, Bradley Cooper is one of the biggest movie stars in the world, and he just directed A Star is Born and started and got nominated for an Oscar. And I think his star power and performance as Rocket Raccoon is one of the coolest things he's ever done. He's made this little raccoon a totally integral character (laughs) amongst these 40, 45 characters. And I can't really imagine these movies without him now. And I hope I cannot wait for him and Thor to have more scenes like that in, in, in future movies. Uh, I agree, by the way. I hope that they do. I hope that what we did see from that Guardians of the Galaxy with Thor is going to happen for the reasons that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of potential for that group to do some hugely entertaining stories. And uh, particularly if they even take some of the plot lines from the comic books where they're they're going in and rescuing people from the Soul Stone. Mm. You know, you got if that it- lo- love story again with Gamora and Quill. You know, that can yes. you know, be rediscovered. So we'll see where they go with that. And you, so did you think that it was too outsized? To, I, say, I guess I don't really want to sit here and try and offer you critiques. I should, we should talk about more what you loved. I feel like that's better. Because you, you, for this, this is you. You said this was just three hours of you just, you know. <laughs> in the zipper zone, so to speak. You're, you're like, this is everything you'd wanted out of uh, being in the movie theater from the t- from 1972, from your 10 years old, getting the comic books, getting to the screen. Did you tear up at any point? Um, I didn't tear up because I was so um, just enthralled with what was happening. But there were people on two sides of me that did tear up <laughs> when Tony Stark died, I have to say. Yes. I, I'm not in, in, it's very tough for me in the Marvel movies to, to tear up. Um, I don't know why. It's just because I, I I have a certain. Are you a bit of a hard cry, Frank? No, I'm not. I'm not. Wise, no. I'm not. It's just in the comic book movies. I don't know. It's because I I, I know it's fantasy. Yes. And um, I'm uh, I, I 
guess I keep a certain amount of critical distance from it. Um, but I'll tell you one thing that I'm interested in and that I think also is remaining as another plot line that interests me in this movie is um, there's still, I think, a lot to be explained about how Red Skull yeah. gets to Vormir. Because the, we at the end of Captain America, the first Avenger, he holds the Tesseract in his hands and a portal opens up and it drags him up with it. Yep. And then we do not see him again until Infinity War. And that's that. Yep. And we actually don't have Hugo Weaving as Red Skull anymore. Some some other actor is portraying Red Skull, which hardly makes a difference at this point. But he's the guardian of the Soul Stone. It's an interesting choice. It's a great moment in Infinity War. It's a great gasp moment when Thanos and Gamora show up there. I suppose that is some unexplored territory. Yeah, so I think there's going to be there's an opportunity opportunity for a little bit more exploration of how he got there and what happened. I think there's also, um, I don't know if you remember, um, Peter Parker, Spider-Man said when he comes back out and sees Tony Stark for the first time. That was actually, when, that was a good... That was when I cried. That was way. an emotional moment, too, where he's like, because, again, you know, this thing of fathers and sons and fathers yes. and daughters and stuff is that, uh, you know, Tony Stark has this uh, kind of fatherly relationship with Peter Parker that he develops yeah. through the Spider-Man movie and, you know, the uh, Avengers Civil War. And he's very emotional when he sees him alive. He felt really responsible for Peter Parker dying. But... Peter Parker says to him, he said, well, you know, we were, um, you know, after I uh, disappeared, we were in this uh, uh, place and then Dr. Strange did some uh, uh, magic or something. He's, and- he's babbling and, and we, don't, we, we almost as audience members aren't even focused on what he's saying because we're so wrapped up in Tony Stark and Tony Stark's not focusing on what he's saying he's just so happy to see him right but, but it sounds like they were right. uh, they were having some sort of uh, experience in the quantum realm mm-hmm. so I think that there is a lot more to happen in the quantum realm or that could happen that mm-hmm. they can go into and look at um, and I'm interested to see there I think there's some great potential for some exciting stories that you know explain what happened in you know it could have been a thousand years that they were That's in true. the quantum realm before they came out and and um, so that part of the story interested me. Do you think that in the wake of Captain America growing old and passing it on to Anthony Mackie as Sam Wilson, which I thought was a great moment. I loved the moment where Bucky Barnes looks and says, go on. Because we didn't know which one of the two of them was going to become Captain America. We assumed one of them would at some point. And the fact that it's Anthony Mackie is a really cool moment. Uh then now that Cap and Iron Man are done, do you think there's any person or hero that can sort of fill in their spot as the centerpiece around which most of the MCU revolves? Wow, that's a really good question. If there's any single one, I don't know that there is right now because it. Re- I think it remains to be seen. It's going to depend a lot on who the actors and actresses are mm-hmm. because to a you know a degree that you know the and I'm not necessarily saying an actor or actress to come in and play Iron Man or Cap I'm saying anybody in the MCU um, yeah, existing saying, or not existing I'm saying of any of those people it's going to depend on how they can perform it because mm-hmm. part of what made Iron Man was Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of him same thing with Captain America and the the other characters haven't been written in a way I think yet that allows them to step up to that level um, they might be able to do that. Um, I don't know that any of them... I, I, I don't see anyone that stands out to me I, that could fill the, that role. The, what the do you only think? person to me is Tom Holland as Spider-Man. And... That's true. I, and I thought I think that maybe Kevin Feige, the producer and sort of the the, the big guy who put this whole thing in motion, I think they had an idea that maybe Brie Larson as Captain Marvel could do that. But Brie Larson's character is one of the... I just don't think that it works that well, which is a huge bummer 
because I like Brie Larson a lot. Oscar winner, like really uh, uh, charismatic when she's given the room to flex. But the Captain Marvel character is just really bland and just so powerful. And I most of this movie she comes in and then she's like she gives a very good point that this is happening in thousands of planets all over the galaxy. I like that point. And then she disappears, comes back in. She's kind of a human MacGuffin and just blows up Thanos' ship and prevents Thanos from snapping and eats a punch from him. And it's a great – It's the, the power is great, but I don't know – if that character is is strong enough to, to, to hold the weight of a good chunk of the MCU. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I had actually higher hopes for what they were going to do with Marvel, as she was ah, called in the, in, the, in the Marvel Universe. And um, she is, in the comic books, one of the very most powerful uh, characters in the mm-hmm. entire universe. Mm-hmm. So I expected her to have a more central role, and I almost felt like that was one area where uh, they just kind of said, we got to use her somewhere, and they just threw her in there. Um, and, and I think I agree with you for that reason. They may not be able to you know, use her as somebody to build the storyline around. I actually think that probably the highest potential is going to be Black Panther. Nice. Um, I like that. And, yeah, that's and, a really and, good call. And all of the... Um, the characters that stem from that, you know, in the comic book, his sister, there's a period of time where his Shuri. sister Shuri uh, becomes Black Panther. Very cool. When, when he is uh, sort of out, out for the count, um, she actually is, she's very ambitious in the comic book as, as she is in the, Lati- the movie. Latita Wright, who plays Shuri, is really good. So I would love to see her be able to, to get some screen time and do that. Yeah, in fact, I thought that might have happened in this, that when Black Panther died, she she was going to actually... But be- she actually ended up going into the... the, the, the she was part of the snap. Yes, I, I thought she was going to um, survive and be able to, to come back. But I, I think that they can do a lot more with... Um, that um, with the Black Panther universe becoming central to it. Yeah. Uh, and I think there are a lot of plot lines that can come from it. It's the strongest. I think it's the strongest right now of all of them. I also want to, to give the MCU, I think they've earned a little bit of benefit of the doubt, that even though we have some doubts about Captain Marvel as a character, and uh, maybe some, some people have even said that uh, Chadwick Boseman's Black Panther could, could use some fleshing out as a character, that he's more of a symbol than anything else. Uh, I agree, and I think that if you can have a couple of Thor movies that are as, as really not good as the first two Thor movies are, and have Hemsworth be really wooden and have his eyebrows dyed blonde, and like he does in the first movie, I think it's possible that they can find the right director or the right writer and figure out those two characters and save them. I hope that that's the case. Uh, do you? It's 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 Iron Man. Did you enjoy that last line? Where Thanos says, I am inevitable, and Downey, for the last time, as the Infinity Gauntlet closes around his hand, say, I am Iron Man, and do the snap. I love that. I love that, and uh, not just because it was a refute of, a refutation of uh, Thanos, uh, but it was also him finally being at peace with the fact that, like, this is who I am. I think even up until the end, you know, uh, with all the explosions and all the the sort of action drama that was going on, you got to remember that um, Tony Stark was really struggling with. He finally was in a setup where he had kind of what he wanted. He had yes. peace. He had like a nice house. He had his daughter and his wife, and he was happy. And he was, I think, morally uh, torn as to whether or not it's like, all right, I can accept this. You know, we half of everybody's dead, but here I am. Do I want to screw this up mm. by trying to change it? I could lose everything. And in the end, 
he kind of does because he loses that he dies but he says you know what ultimately i'm iron man and that's that's who i am and that's i'm gonna die as iron man is the guy who just put it all on the line um and started out as a war profiteer essentially and you know died as somebody who uh sacrificed made his life. the sacrifice play as yep. cap doubted he could do in the first avengers movie that's right that's uh, exactly right it's a good <laughs> good recollection for that line it was the sacrifice go. play yep uh a couple of things as we close out. One, what do you think of the decision to merge Hulk and Banner into one guy and have Bruce Banner as Mark Ruffalo not really appear as Ruffalo except when he's talking to Tilda Swinton's supreme... Guard. What's her character's name? The, the the Doctor Strange character, Tilda Swinton, who she gets the time stone from? Yes, who was his teacher. Yep. Yeah, and yep. that's the only time we see Ruffalo as Ruffalo. Other than that, I thought it was I thought Hulk. it was great. I thought it was great, and I thought it worked well because, you know, at a certain point, you know, the Hulk is... Um, you know, when he's the Hulk, you can't do that much with him except destroy stuff. Yes. Um, and the way they poke fun at that in New York, when he pretends, he, they, uh, they, 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 that's they, right. you see Hulk come in and do the the real smash thing, and then Banner goes and pretends to throw the motorcycle and smash the taxi. That's one of the biggest laughs of the whole movie. It absolutely me. is, and it's a good way to, um, to resolve what had happened in the previous um, um, episode in Infinity War where he can't make the Hulk come out right. after the Hulk gets his butt kicked. I thought that was going to come back up again. I thought that was going to come back around and they were going to have this Hulk is no longer afraid of Thanos thing. But that never really gets addressed. No, and I think that it's okay. And I think that you know what happens is Banner sort of figured out how to go with it. And I think it was also a good device just because it allows Banner to be smart enough to try out using the gauntlet. Yes. Um, you know, while he's the Hulk, and because you couldn't imagine the Hulk, Hulk, Hulk doing, doing that, that. right? Um, and uh, also contribute to some of the problem solving that they had to do. So I like that. Yeah, I thought that was a good move. Last two things. One, do you wish that Thanos had gone out a different way, other than solemnly accepting and drifting away after the Iron Man snap? Well, I don't know if I wish it had been. I think there are multiple ways I would have been satisfied. I did get the satisfaction of Thor chopping his head off in the first round. Yeah, in the first five minutes of the good, movie. Which is great. Did yep. you think, I thought that, oh my God, this is a Thanos reality stone thing and there's no way that he actually died. Yeah, well, there, and it's also what I was worried about. In one of the comic books, Thanos fakes his own death. Mm. So I was thinking that that might have been connected to that, but that's not what happened here. Shocking. Yeah, but um, it was kind of nice to have his own uh, kind of... Um, you know, sort of method turned on him and to yeah. you know, experience that. That was, uh, so I was happy enough about that. And it was a little bit different. It might've been too obvious to just have him get impaled by, you know, uh, some other uh, combination of superheroes that just, you know, yeah. pounded him and then impaled right. him on like a hunk of metal. Or like <laughs> uh, this is where, do, do you, do you, is it all gravy for you now? Was it all gravy to begin with? After enjoying the comics from from the time you were a kid, I, it was it was all gravy for me. And you know, just the fact that you know when you read these two dimensional and you know as a comic book as a kid, you know this was pre like three D video games and everything like that. You had to do this certain leap in your mind, which was easy to do when you were imagining the you know the explosions of like the Hulk punching out the side of a building or these, you know, huge spaceships coming in and firing rockets and blowing up the Avengers headquarters and people being pinned under the rubble. And they conveyed the uh, experience so physically in such a multi-sensory way when you're in the theater uh, with the colors, with the lights, with the sounds and the characters that it just was, uh, for me, 
it it transported me to that you know back to the when I was reading it it was the closest thing to it and I was like gosh this was really what it would be like if you were there living you know on the battlefield living through it so in that regard for me it was all gravy it was just yeah. it was pure joy and even the pause that they did where you know the dialogue between some of the characters you know some of it it's it's not shakespearean it's you know <laughs> these are comic books and but the mythology was still there and it was very it was it was believable to me yeah i found it entirely believable and while i was in that theater i i never lost track of uh, I never became self-conscious that I was in there watching the movie. It it did it did transport me um, until it was over, and um, so it was it was pure joy for me. And do you think that's a perfect ending with with Cap and his lady and Haley Atwell as uh, Peggy Carter getting that dance? I, I thought that was a fantastic ending. Yeah, yeah that was really it was satisfying, and it was a it was a it was what Cap deserved. It was what she deserved, and. Um, uh, I think it was a perfect way to put a bow on the whole series, and now I'm, I'm looking forward to see what they cook up next. Right, and now because there's this, there's still hundreds of millions and billions of dollars to be made, and I can't believe that that's just the end of Phase Three, as they say, of of these movies, and it's the end of one era of the MCU. I can't imagine them topping this in any other chunk of movies, but. I am very excited to see what they try next. Frank, how'd you think this pod went? Oh, I think it was fantastic, AJ. <laughs> I could talk about Marvel Universe. Will you come back the- on to talk about more MCU stuff? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. I loved having you on. This was really uh, uh, everything I wanted more. A couple of little tiny things before we get out of here, things that I loved about the movie. One, I loved the callback to the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy 1, which remains my... actually. And uh, made me think of something else. Uh, the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy 1 where Peter Quill is dancing around the cave and we get the moment where Don Cheeto and Nebula are just looking at him dancing. He goes, so he's an idiot. So he's, and then he knocks him out cold. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Captain America dueling himself and hearing Cap, uh, past Cap say, I could do this all day. And present Cap go, I know. I, I know, know. I know. Also, the other that was one of the other greatest lines yesterday. I forgot. He goes, yeah, that is America's, that is America's ass. ass. That was great. <laughs> that was great. I thought that uh, freaking Paul Rudd is so good as Ant-Man. And he was so good in this movie. And uh, for people who maybe have watched a bunch of the MCU movies and not gone back and watched Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp, I loved those movies. Yes. As, as a tinier thing. And the fact that we get it. I remember turning to my buddy Sam in... The after the first hour when they set up the whole time, I was like, I can't believe this is the movie. Yeah. I can't believe this is that this is the decision they made with it. I was delighted that they had the first half of it be like an episode of that HBO show, The Leftovers, where 2% of the planet leaves and it's the fallout from it and there's nobody there and Cap's leading a meeting about how you move on and... I, I just can't believe that that's the decision, the direction they went to, went with it. It was great. And the last thing is, can you name, what were you going to say, Frank? I had to say? say, I had to say just two other things. Yes. Quick. One is, I thought that maybe that they were going to use Hank Pym's technology to shrink Thanos down to like a tiny size and just squash him like a bug. That was one, <laughs> I thought that might happen or have Ant-Man go inside of him and right. then become giant and just sort of explode him from the inside. The second thing is that um, uh, I wasn't satisfied with just the cameo of Nick Fury at the end. Mm. He just appears there like my work is done. 
Um, I wanted that. That was the one part that left me hungry for more. So I I think that casting Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man is the most important decision the MCU ever made. And if they hadn't done that, then this whole thing doesn't work, and we don't even get to Endgame. But the other half of that is casting Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. So I think you're right. I think he is the other thing and the thing that strings together a lot of these movies and I wish he had done more than just show up at the end uh, what are your top three Marvel movies before we get out of here oh gosh oh that's yeah a, that's a tough well you know I, I gotta say um, I'd probably say Civil War yep is number one for me um, I, know, I know you love that, 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 that I, I love that and it, it pulled everything together for me um, I would say uh, number two is probably Guardians of the Galaxy one. That's my number one. And I love then, Guardians. Uh, one. Number three, I would say, was Iron Man one. Was Iron Man one? Yeah, I would love say it. those three. I've got Guardians one, Ragnarok. I just effing love Ragnarok right. and love Taika Waititi as Korg. Hey, Amen. Yeah. I'm Korg. That's Meek. It was <laughs> every, awesome. Every time he says anything, the fact that Korg was in uh, that scene with Fat Thor at his house just made me so happy. And then number three is Infinity War because I don't think you could ever have a better comic book villain and than Brolin as Thanos in these movies. And I don't think the the whole thing works unless he really gives it his all as in that performance and we get a Thanos movie. Yeah, he was Infinity worth every War. penny. They, he, he, he was a key. Worth the build up, worth the big bad. Frank, shake my hand, man. Great to have you on the pod. Great to be on, AJ, anytime. As always, you can listen to all episodes of Fighting Fire with Fire at soundcloud.com slash fightingfirewithfire. Leave us a comment on facebook.com slash the AJ Rose Show. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at the AJ Rose Show. Email us, Show at gmail.com. We're on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, subscribe and review, and on Spotify. Avengers Assemble. Searching, searching. Search for Fighting Fire with Fire. I'm AJ Rose for Frank Campania. This has been Fighting Fire with Fire. Fuck Mitch McConnell, and we will see you guys next time. Cheers. 